Here are the highlights from the latest episode of Free Talk Live. Visit freetalklive.com for the full episode. In the studio, it's myself, the captain. And Peakless Mountaineer. And joining us remotely? <laughs> Mark Edge from Honduras. Hey, there you are. Mask-wearing German judge acquits C.J. Hopkins in, quote, Nazi-promoting tweets, unquote, case. Six months after renowned American author and satirist C.J. Hopkins was first charged, found guilty, and sentenced for daring to dissent against the state's increasing authoritarianism by tweeting an image of a mask with a swastika image shining through, he finally had his day in German court. So uh, the man made a tweet during this whole masky business. Uh, It was an image of one of these cloth medical masks. You're familiar with them. You saw them. Uh, And he just had like a like a vague image of a swastika, like, you know, trying to poke through the colors or whatever, that kind of a thing. Apparently in Germany, this is a no-no. Oh, yeah. Because of, well, you know, the Nazis. Yeah, you you are not allowed to own a swastika in that country. They will put you in jail for that. So he he finally went to court, and in his own words, it went pretty well. Which is, you know, not usually the case when somebody goes to court facing, you know, some sort of attack by right. government. When yeah, you, you go to court being accused, literally being accused of being a Nazi, expect it to go poorly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we followed this grotesque legal drama closely over the months as Hopkins exposed thought crimes as the road to totalitarianism. He discussed the continued criminalization of dissent. And he has warned Americans that the First Amendment won't save you. Quote, I do not mean to imply that fighting this global crackdown on dissent in the courts is futile. On the contrary, it's one of the only strategies we have. And I will certainly be doing that vigorously here in Germany. I'm just trying to dissuade my fellow Americans from feeling immune or even superior on the account of the U.S. First Amendment and misconceptions about Germany and Europe. And fight he did with, ironically, a mask-wearing judge (laughs) who begrudgingly acquitted him this week of the charge of, quote, disseminating the emblems of a national socialist organization, unquote. I am shocked. (laughs) And whatever the opposite of appalled is. (laughs) I'm just glad they said national socialist. You know, I appreciate that, too. As opposed to, like, <laughs> regional socialist well, or global socialist? Well, I mean, No well, one realizes that's what the Nazis literally were. They were the National yeah. Socialist German Workers' Party. Yep. It was socialism. It was always socialism. So every time someone feeds you a line of nonsense like, oh, well, on the far left there's socialism and communism, but on the far right there's fascism. No. No. Fascism is socialism. Always has been. The only difference is that communism espouses global socialism and fascism espouses national socialism. So with national socialism, your nation becomes socialist and then takes over the world. Whereas with communism, all of the nations become one socialist conglomerate. Hmm. I see. I used to have a coin that I carried in my pocket and it was a, a five mark coin and it basically on it says something to the effect of um, uh, from each 
to one, basically, you know, the, the, the kind of uh, Captain Kirk, Mr. Spock thing uh, from the many to the one or whatever they're, right. they're saying. No, no, that was that was the needs of the many outweigh the, the yeah. uh, needs, of the, needs few, of the few or the one. Whereas yeah. from the many to the one sounds like uh, our economic system. Yes. And uh, basically, I um, I would carry this around to show that, in fact, the Nazis were socialists. You don't have I mean, all you have to do is know the name um, and you'd realize it. But uh, it basically carrying a coin with a swastika in my pocket just didn't go over as well as I thought it might. So. <laughs> what? You know, it's surprising <laughs> how poorly Nazi paraphernalia tracks with most people. You know, like just trying I to mean, show I them. I assume hey, it's surprising because because no. people do it. <laughs> how? I mean, how did you believe carrying around a coin in your pocket with a swastika on it was going to go? I believed that I was going to show people that are like, but but Hitler's a fascist and fascists are righties. I believe that I was going to show them. In fact, I have a, happen to have a coin that proves quite the opposite. But all they do is see a swastika and go from there. Mm, um, yeah. You know, frankly, to me, it's just more proof that your average person's an idiot. There were two artists that um, did, you know, sort of buck the system, if you will. Uh, who's the guy that wrote? Uh, uh, oh, uh, uh, Van Morrison. Van Morrison. Yes, thank you. Uh, Van Morrison actually did a whole EP of sort of like anti-authoritarian, you know, COVID's got to stop type of songs. And then Eric Clapton joined and like as actually co-wrote a song with him. Um, so those are the two notable exceptions, right? And as far as I can tell, the only two, right? Yeah. Van Morrison, not rock or heavy metal. Eric Clapton, not rock or heavy metal. Not anymore, anyway. He's more like, I don't know, adult folk or something at this point <laughs> in in his career. But, like, here are the two, like, sort of only rock stars standing up for everybody else's art. There was no theater, no plays, no orchestras, no jazz, no blues, no hip-hop, no DJs, no metal, no mosh pits, no punk rock. None of this. This was all shut down. There was no art was not allowed. And yep. there were only two freaking musicians in the entire world, near as I could tell, right? Outside of, you know, me and Aria and, and Mushmouth Mike doing our thing at, at Porkfest. Yeah, I, I think they, they finally solved the argument whether or not punk is dead. Punk died in 2020. Like, at that point, there was no rebellious music, yep. present company excluded. I mean, the music in and of itself is still rebellious in nature. Is it? Well, it is when you listen to it. If it evokes the emotion, then yes. But it's the artists themselves who have shown me over the last, you know, however many years it's been now, three, four years, that they themselves are not rebellious. Their music might speak on, I mean, on, on, on the subject of rebellion, but the artists themselves, no, not rebels. Hot Topic can sell a shirt that says anti-Hot Topic. Is it really a, an anti-Hot Topic shirt at that point? Depends on how many they sell. <laughs> <laughs> if they sell zero, then it worked. <laughs> but seriously, like at, at this point, it's it's proof that all of the people that we were kind of looking to uh, from the left to the right mm -hmm. to stand up against tyranny all dropped the ball uh, uh, from, from the musicians to the churches. They all all abandoned us when we needed them most. One other artist, and, and yes, I do refer to stand-up comedy as art, 
uh, who I will mention as sort of, a, uh, you know, s- sort of stood up with Jim Brewer mm-hmm. uh, instead of doing stand-up comedy at, you know, the stand-up comedy clubs because they were all closed too. Mm-hmm. Uh, he decided to take his show on the road, literally, and and played here in Keene at uh, the Drive-In Theater. It was the the, the county fairgrounds that uh, were made up to be uh, something resembling uh, a drive-in theater mm-hmm. uh, of old. And he took that sort of around the country as much as he could because mm-hmm. he's like, I don't know what else to do, man. Right. I got no venues. I can't book. You know, it's like these things are all outdoor. And what they would do is they would like you know, square off these little squares, these little, uh, you know, wranglings of humans, right? If you weren't in your pod, then you were going to get a scolding by the by the security team there at the outdoor venue. Like you had enough space to park one yeah. car and then one car's worth of space for you and whoever was in your car to like bust out some lawn chairs and enjoy the show. I remember there was a liberal... Uh, attorney in the Tampa Bay area on like Clearwater beach walking up and down. This guy took the time to dress up like death with a big scythe and that kind of thing (laughs) and point his finger at the people on the beach. Like they were going to die They're They're spreading COVID. Now this isn't just some kook. This is an attorney who managed to make it through seven years of school and got a you know the you know got a rating by the bar you know he's he's something and there he is out there we're all gonna die you're killing us all kooks yeah so anyway uh going back to cj and his trial in germany he says i was acquitted technically it isn't all over because the prosecutor has a week to appeal the decision but given the circumstances i doubt he will he made a total fool of himself in front of a large audience yesterday. Yay! I love it when judges make fools of themselves. We've got Greg calling from New York. Greg, you're on Free Talk Live. Hey, y'all. So uh, I wanted to first say a couple of words about the rockers. You know, I was born in the 80s, so I didn't catch the whole rock and roll scene in the 60s and 70s. But I could tell you what I know about it. Yeah. They were anti-establishment, they were counterculture, and here's what's interesting. There was a flu pandemic. Whoever was alive in the 60s probably remembers this. In 1968, which also originated in China, mm-hmm. and uh, killed around 3 million people. Uh, just for comparison, COVID has killed 7 million mm-hmm. uh, to date, globally. So, in 1969, while this pandemic was still going on, the United States they had Woodstock. They had a lot of people just come out and never mind the drugs and all the other stuff that they were doing in counterculture. They all got together. Yeah. And at that time, the you know, the hippie movement and everything and the originating California and all this stuff going on. They and today all of these uh, lefties are no longer anti-establishment. Uh, they're very much in league with the establishment. Oh, yeah, a lot they of the time. definitely are so the establishment. Yeah, and I want to point out too that what what was Woodstock, right? It was a farmer's field. Mm. They like they like found a farmer with some acreage and was like, "Hey, can we put on a big old outdoor show? We'll bring in you know a PA. We'll bring in a stage. You know, we'll you know figure out parking for people, etc. and so on." And that's what they did because no one else was going to host that thing. None of the existing venues. And I'd like to point out, 
If the hippies can get off their butts and do it, you can too. Right. (laughs) There was a pandemic. They were doing it in the middle of a pandemic. So that's one thing. It was a super spreader event. And um, and that's why it killed a third of the American population. Oh, oh, that didn't happen. Right. Yeah. No, we actually talked about it here on Free Talk Live. I remember I covered a story very specifically about, hey, did you know that, you know, during Woodstock there was a pandemic? And nobody was freaking out. Nobody was masking. Nobody was locking down. Right. Uh, and so, yeah, you're spot on, Greg. Thank you. And I just wanted to ask you guys a question because of all this war going on. I can't even keep track of how many countries now are involved in wars, you know, as opposed to three years ago. But the one in Gaza, right? I was interested because I followed it. I was alive back then. I was looking at 2005. If you wanted a pure example of anarchy, was Gaza. In 2005, when the Israeli forces had withdrawn from Gaza, there was no one really there to, to, there's no monopoly of force, let's put it that way. Everyone had guns. The tribes were called Hamulas. They, you know, it was very tribal, like Highland clans in Scotland or something like that. Mm-hmm. And compare that to what happened once they had an election, right? And then they got a monopoly of force because Essentially, Hamas took over. Uh, Fatah didn't like them. Had a civil war of some sort, and then Hamas just took over the whole thing, confiscated everyone's guns, and of since course. then they had no elections, pretty much. <laughs> At least not, you know, can't get Hamas out. And my question is, like, are they better off? And they were just didn't have a monopoly of force, and they actually, what could have happened if they didn't? have an election and just continued to have tribes, you know, what well, would have happened? And I'd, think, I'd uh, like, I'd like to point out too, that uh, Hamas could never have risen to power without the help of Israel and Benjamin Netanyahu in specific could not have happened. This happened in, in part because these big players really wanted some big player here instead of those, uh, instead of the diversified power, they wanted a monopoly on the force. That's right. And the U.S. pushed them, Bush pushed them to have an election. Yep. And uh, everyone was like, yes, this is a great election. Jimmy Carter was like, it was a perfect election. Not meant much uh, corruption there. And the problem wasn't the election. <laughs> The problem was that they confiscated everyone's guns, and no one could change that government anymore. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know what I love about Netanyahu? That, uh, you know, he's got Yahoo right in his name. <laughs> well, and and I'd like to point out that this is a, an inevitability with a democracy. So even if you have, like, an actual system of democracy where you, like, rotate people in, eventually you'll get a leader that has enough power to stop you from voting him out. I think it was in Milwaukee. Maybe it was uh, Minnesota. I think it was Minnesota. The police station was burned down. I mean, oh, yeah, if they wanted to use, yeah, if they wanted to it use It was violence, a mostly peaceful burning. They could have, like the cops surely could have defended that. And they didn't feel like they had the backing of their government would be my guess. Now I'm not saying that the cops should have got out there and shot everybody over a building, but I'm also not saying that it's acceptable to burn down any building. So that's my feeling. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, (laughs) 
I, I like that you brought up the, the Minnesota thing because um, I always bring that up as a juxtaposition to like J6, right? And like if, if January 6th was an insurrection, <laughs> then uh, the, the, the burning in, in Minnesota, the riots, if you will, the burning of the police station in Minnesota, what was that? Yeah, the whole world going burn, getting burned down, apparently. It was a mostly peaceful protest. Didn't you listen to the news? <laughs> yeah, no. Fiery, but mostly peaceful. It said it on the scrawler. I think that I think everybody, everybody who's honest about the situation realizes that J6 is a big deal because the people in power felt threatened. That everything that happened with BLM wasn't a big deal because those people did not feel threatened. And that's the end of the story. Um, you know, this nation was founded by people who said things like, um, you know, when the people fear the government, you have tyranny. When uh, the government fears the people, you have liberty. And 250 years later, you've got, you know, some people taking an unauthorized tour of the White House where the guards open the door for them, um, you know, imprisoned. Yeah. Well, there is definitely a, a, an asymmetry of information on January 6th, though. And it is sad to see that in this age, where we have access to all of the information easily, you can, I mean, well, I guess not all of the in, uh, information. We still don't have all of the tapes. Those are still being held back from us. But you have access to a tremendous amount of information. And you could go look and find out whether the image being presented by the media is accurate but people don't they take it at face value when cnn says x y and z yeah that's the unfortunate i i think that that's changing though the mainstream media is failing their viewership keeps going down and down uh they're only relevant to uh, maybe like uh boomers and up as far as age is concerned uh there's probably some gen x in there that's still you know, sort of glued to some of the mainstream media because, you know, they don't know any better. But I think starting with... They Gen- lost a lot of the Gen X with Tucker. Totally. You know? And I think starting with Gen X and moving down into, you know, just the newborns, right, this year or whatever, like there's a lot less uh, people watching the mainstream media or at least being mesmerized by it, right? Because it used to be those were the only channels. Those were your only, you know, sort of resources to get you know, your news and, and all that kind of stuff from uh, was mainstream media, whether it was radio or television or the newspaper, right? It, it didn't really matter. Those were your only sources. Now we got the internet and we got millions of independent sources, people like people that I think are journalists who aren't getting paid, whereas there's people who are called journalists who are getting paid just to tote the government line. Right? I like journalists for... Uh, like slow disasters, you know, if there's a hurricane coming, yeah, you know, I'll turn on the weather channel and I'll watch journalists. If there's a, you know, presidential primary occurring, then, you know, I'll tune it in and listen to what they have to say over the course of two hours while I do things uh, around the house. And that was, you know, the most recent time. Oh, in football. I, I don't know if that counts as a slow disaster, but <laughs> <laughs> depends on certainly, who you're rooting for. <laughs> certainly the last primary does. <laughs> uh, so uh, speaking of journalists, which is this article that we've been talking about, uh, CJ Hopkins, uh, he was acquitted 
by a mask wearing judge. Uh, there's uh, a somebody calling themselves a People journalist. People are still wearing masks. Well, the judge was. They are apparently. in Germany. Yeah. Uh, well, and and remember, the mask has never been about its efficacy. The mask has always been about making you feel better. Yeah, obedience. Signaling. Yes. A, Gaslighting. making you feel better, and B, telling everyone what tribe you're in. Yeah. So uh, this uh, other reporter, Ava Velasquez, uh, in her reason said, the judge stated that the acquittal counteracts your statement that you live in a totalitarian state. She sensed a certain arrogance uh, in his statement along the lines of, only he would have understood it. Everyone else is stupid sheep. The others may have been convinced by scientists. After all, it was a completely new situation. The subjective feeling that you see the new Nazi Germany emerging, you may already have something totalitarian about you. She herself was the granddaughter of Nazi victims, so he didn't need to put on airs here. In her opinion, Hopkins' statements were, she said verbatim, ideological drivel, but that it was not punishable by law. The judge has a high enough opinion of Germany itself to say that, um, hey, we're not as authoritarian as you're saying we are. And the evidence for that is, is that I don't believe that the law actually covers this. Um, in many cases, I think the Germans are hypersensitive to their history um, surrounding World War II. And they ought to have you know, some thoughts regarding it, certainly. But at the same time, there are very, very, very few people alive that were alive at that time. So they're not responsible for that. Um, you know, it, it never ceases to amaze me when I find some 27-year-old uh, Jewish person getting mad at some 32-year-old German person over things that occurred that neither one of them had any control over. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah. No, I'm with you on that. I, I that's we talk in these generational terms too frequently as as a as a, a species in my opinion. Uh in my opinion things like boomers, gen xers, millennials, you know, etc and so on are divisive words. Right? They they are words that uh, are not there to help unify us. They are there to help uh you know, divide us further. So much so that you'll hear, like without any logic behind them, you'll hear one generation blaming another generation, right? This isn't totally uncommon uh, prior to these terms, right? But before boomers, like, there wasn't really these generational terms, right? Prior to the greatest generation, right? Uh, and that kind of a thing. I don't like, think the greatest generation referred to themselves. Um, you know, like the, I think that right. the generation started with the boomers. I think you're right on that point. Right. So like we have these, it's almost like it's a new astrology in a way, right? We have these, these assignments to, well, if you were born between this year and this year, instead of this month and that month, right? If you were born, then you're this type of person. And then people will speak generally about, that particular generation and those generalities, I, you know, I just don't know, man. I I think it's a I think it's bad form for humanity to talk about uh, generations uh, in that vague of terms. Well, I think the the ba the baby boom uh, combined with a democratic state 
was the first time, at least in recent history, that two generations within the same culture were put absolutely at odds with each other. Yeah. Because that was the point where, in order to get elected, you only had to get one demographic, this age group. If you got this age group to vote for you, you won. And that means that if you offered this age group to steal from this age group, then you would win. Because they because everyone has some level of anxiety or another. And if you're anxious about will my children love me enough to take care of me when I retire, and someone says, Don't worry about that, we'll force them to, then that calms your anxiety. So you're perfectly fine stealing from those people and incidentally making sure that you steal from every generation after that, and that the next generation steals from every generation after them so on and so forth forever. So at that point, you had you had the culture divided against itself. So they created these terms to talk about a division that existed. I don't think it was I the also term. Wonder, I but, also wonder how much Social Security, you just mentioned it, um, it works in the other direction too. So like the, the oldsters don't have to be nice to their kids in order to get taken care of in their old age. Mm. Now they can, you know, they can go down uh, screaming and yelling at the very least they can afford a trailer in Florida and some dog food. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's exactly it. All of these things that the government takes over causes us to treat each other more and more poorly when the government, it's almost as if it's almost as if the government is intention is to split us apart. Oh, almost? No, I believe that is the government's intention, because the more government can divide us and pit us against each other, the less time we have to take a look at them. Yeah. Well, and when you are in a business, you want to stay in business. So since their their job is conflict resolution, even though they do, of course, a terrible job at it, they do have a monopoly. So if they don't create conflict, they might find themselves out of a job. We've got Tim in Florida calling. Tim, you're on Free Talk Live. Pick a number one through eight. Uh, Do I say it out loud or just keep it in my head? No, say it out loud. Okay, it's four. Four, okay. Um, Settlers and IDF members, uh, what percentage of the population of Israel, uh, what, what percentage are IDF members by default? And what percentage? And I'm talking about adults. Ooh, uh, 100 of the male population, so 50. Okay. What you said, 100. Well, 100% of the male population has to at some point serve in the Israeli Defense Force. I see the gals in uniform, though. And then um, then the the other question is... uh, also settlers, you know, what percentage of the population, even if they are not IDF members, uh, what percentage of the population are settlers walking around with guns on their hips? I don't know. That I wouldn't know. Um, I'm curious if a settler can walk around in Palestinian territory with a gun on their hip, can a Palestinian? Good question. Now, does that make them a military target? If there is a population under occupation and they are resisting, um, under international law, uh, would would armed settlers and would IDF members 
even as young as 18 at a music festival be legal military targets. Were the settlers, I, I, I think that the music festival was w- within the country of Israel, was it not? And I think that there's also, it's worth bringing up the difference between the West Bank and Gaza here is, is that they're two entirely different places. Right. Well, all of them. So, so Israel, as we think of Israel and West Bank and Gaza, are all a part of Israel. Because as far as Israel is concerned, uh, Palestine never existed. And that is the propaganda that they keep pushing to the West. No, no surprise there. I mean, you know, nations love to claim land, um, you know, Ukraine, the United States. Uh, these are some modern stories about, uh, you know, what happens when people, you know, disagree on who ought to be in charge in a given, given tract of land. Yep. Uh, right. Now, there are people right now talking about drinking a mojito a year from now um, on, you know, within within what is currently considered Gaza. And, and these are Israelis. And also, I want to bring up the fact that anyone can convert to Judaism yes. at any time. This is not a 12-tribe issue. Anyone can convert to Judaism and move to Israel and become a settler with any of you can do it right now. So, so imagine, you know, it's something like the Free State Project, except it's the Tyranny State Project. And, and you can go over there right now, put a gun on your hip, and uh, burn somebody's house to the ground and take it over. We, anyone can do that. Any American with, with an American, uh, uh, you know, citizenship can become dual citizenship. I'm pretty sure that they regulate who gets to steal whose houses. Yeah. You can't yeah. just like go there and take someone's house. Well, but, but they have had instances where these uh, settlers sort of see an opportunity. They go in, they get a spot, and then uh, Israel doesn't really know what to do with a Jew that's outside of the Jew areas and inside of the Muslim areas. So they kind of say, well, maybe we'll make this a you know, a Jewish area too. So it gets really difficult in those circumstances. Um, you know, I mean, and we also have to mention that the Muslim countries around Israel have no intention of taking the Palestinians in. Okay. Well, and neither does Israel. You know, you would think if they're not Hamas and Israel doesn't see them as Hamas, then Israel would have taken them in before they started bombing. But that's another issue. Um, but what what is happening is, uh, yes, they are actually actively advertising property and uh, saying tomorrow we will drink mojitos uh, on, you know, on beachfront property in Gaza. And um, and I would also like to bring up what, what do you I think the solution up. is? The solution, actually, Mark, actually, you brought something up, which probably is the closest thing to a solution because the state of Israel will not change. And um, so you brought up an interesting point. You know, during World War II, if the United States hadn't been so full of bigots at the time that, uh, you know, Jews could have come to this country. And at the same time, uh, whether you say, okay, well, 
why doesn't all of Israel come to this country? Or you can say, Palestinians, you come to this country, because the reality is the United States has dual citizens of both, uh, both Israel and Palestine. And, and no, you know, it's not federal policy. Yes, that would be a good solution. Um, if the United States really wanted to show a good face right now, they would say, okay, we're going to make a provision uh, for Palestinians who are under a brutal attack to come to this country. And, you know, but that's not happening. Hey, Daily Digest listeners, this is Riley Blake. I enjoy Free Talk Live, and I know you do too, but finding time to listen to an entire episode isn't always easy, so I produce the Daily Digest. I appreciate those of you who have supported me on Patreon and sent Bitcoin to me to thank me for producing these digests. For those who wish to support me on Patreon, visit patreon.com slash crblake86. If you wish to send Bitcoin, visit patreon.com slash crblake86. 86 for those details. That's patreon.com slash crblake86. Thank you. David Ridley calling. David, you're on Free Talk Live. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> Some thoughts about the D.C. standoff with Texas. Okay. So I uh, published an article on freekeen.com today uh, and tried to go into some detail on this. Uh, one one of the things people aren't thinking about, you know, like Milo Vangelis used to say, he kind of, he had this idea: don't don't trust headlines, trust history. <laughs> so people seem to be all excited right now about the fact that a few states are, well, a bunch of states are lining up to exercise a little bit of sovereignty and stand up to the Fed. Yeah, uh, you know, while that's good, uh, you, independence drives or autonomy drives. Uh, are also connected with the cause behind it. What, what, is it, what was it that triggered them? You know, so that's why the South uh, is so, uh, the, the Confederacy is so hated because it, it seceded, which is, with, you know, they had the right to do that, but they seceded over slavery. Uh, and when the South stood up to the North over civil rights, well, yeah, I mean, the, the, the Feds were beyond their power. Uh, but because the South was taking a stand over segregation, something so evil, uh, it tainted uh, it tainted their independence or their their sovereignty exercises. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So in the same way, you know, if we fast forward fifty or a hundred years from now, humans, you know, if, if the trends of the last five hundred years continue, humans will continue becoming more humane. Uh, and the idea that any human is illegal. You can't travel. You have to have government permission to travel. That would be considered just as insane as slavery, or, or almost I, as insane. I, I want right? to. I want to agree with you, except that, like, it's only really very recently that human beings have become illegal. That things like passports, and I'm just talking about recently in human history, not recently as in like you know no. five years ago. Passports have only been around for less than a hundred years. This way of enforcing it is new, I'll grant you. Yeah. But no, the idea of people not being allowed into other countries is very, very old indeed. Like, you didn't get to go to England without the King of England's permission. That was kind of how it worked. Yeah, they, before passports, they would often have just sort of letters from nobility or whatever to be able to go to different lo- locations. Um, passports were, in some ways, they're t- tyrannical. I guess they're like uh, marriage certificates. You know, if uh, 
if some bureaucrat comes along and says to a black man who's married to a white woman, you're not married because you can't be. Well, they could shake a marriage certificate at them and say, look, here's a government that said that I did. And a passport sort of says, hey, I've been authorized by my government to travel through. So, you know, you've got an agreement or whatever the case may be. But travel for fun is a relatively new thing, um, you know, probably mid 1800s before it even you know started getting any traction at all. Ridley. Anyhow, it's easy to, when talking about this to sound complicated, right? And and the, the, but the simple the simple story is that the Texas government and the U.S. government are both bad news, and New Hampshire should divorce them both. <laughs> now, there's there's words I can agree with. I, I well, look forward to trading as equals uh, between the nations of New Hampshire and Texas. Ridley, I think that um, New Hampshire doesn't have a hope seceding unless Texas does first. Now, Texas may secede for good reasons or bad reasons as far as a libertarian is concerned, and libertarians do argue about this point uh, surrounding <laughs> no. um, immigration, no doubt. Um, but I like what New Hampshire did recently, which is there's a bill in that would advise the federal government that if they go over $40 trillion in debt, New Hampshire secedes. Yeah. I don't know if I think that that's um, as, you know, fleshed out as it needs to be, but nonetheless, it's nice to put them on notice. I think that's a good thing is to let the, you know, to, to tell the feds, hey, this spending that you're doing is unacceptable and there will be consequences. So I, I hate to push back on you on this one, but one of two things is going to happen with, with the future. Either we will continue this insane belief that ownership is based on the ability to defend a property, or we will move to the idea that you have to put your work into something in order to own something, and thus cannot own nature and cannot own unaltered land. Now, if the future still believes that ownership is based on your ability to defend it, then this will be seen as a perfectly sane maneuver by that future. Well, um, give me a little more to that. I, I get where you're coming from. I just need a little more as to know what specifically you're trying to say. Okay, so um, Ridley is concerned with, oh, well, you made these humans illegal. And it's like, well... If the future is full of people that still believe that property is based on your ability to do violence to defend it, then it will still be a situation where we have nation states of one variety or of another, where all of our interactions are predicated fundamentally on the capacity to do violence. Let's move on to this unscreened caller. What's your name? You're live on Free Talk Live. Uh, I'm Michael. Me and my friend were just sitting here. We were listening to your podcast. We thought you had a lot of good stuff to say. We wanted to join in. All right. Well, do you have something specific you wanted to talk about, something we've talked about tonight? Uh, me and my friend were actually talking about the uh, the Texas, where Texas is trying to divide themselves into their own uh, country. Yep. Yeah, I yeah. really hope that they can vote on secession this time. Yeah, I, I I thought about this a lot over the last, uh, I mean, since I've been on this show, so five years now. Um, the United States of America is uniquely positioned to survive something like uh, what happened to the Soviet Union when they finally broke up, right? The United States is already uh, 
perforated, if you will, into a bunch of different states, which are, in theory, already supposed to be their own countries. And the only reason the federal government exists is so that all these states can cooperate for a few things, specifically administrative things, right? Uh, you know, secretarial work. That's why it's called an administration when, you know, a president is elected and that kind of a thing. So uh, it is my firm belief that the outcome of all of this turmoil, all of this political turmoil, is the eventual breakup of the United States of America in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, to, yeah. Uh, sorry, go ahead. Do you feel like the president's handling it well, or do you think Trump would handle it better? I think both of them handled it poorly, and the next one will also handle it poorly because these people are not leaders. They are tyrants. They are psychopaths. What they want is more for them, more control over you, and less for you. They don't want things. They don't want you to be free. They don't want you to make your own decisions for you. They don't want you to be the captain of yourself. They want. They also don't want to see a solution to the immigration problem. Right. The Republicans didn't want to see abortion outlawed because then the dog catches the car. And what's he do with the car? You know, it's the same situation. And it's the same situation with immigration. The Republicans are going to show their hands that they don't want immigration. All they are is like, no, whatever the Democrats want, we want something else. And they don't have a stance. Yeah, and to, to answer the question of would Trump have handled this better, this would not have happened if Trump was president. What do you think? This right. is largely a political maneuver. So look at who signed this uh, new document to to say, yes, they are totally justified. It's 100% on party lines. All of the people who are willing to, uh, I guess, send the National Guard of their state down to defend against the army if it comes to that – they are 100% the Republican governors. This is all Pepsi versus Coke. So this absolutely would not be happening if Trump was president because it wouldn't have been politically viable to put the president in that situation for the Republicans. Mm. Mike? Now, do you think after the four years that uh, Biden has had, he's really shown his cards, and do you think he's going to win the next election, or do you think people have opened their eyes up more and they're going to... Uh, have a smarter standpoint and maybe vote for Trump or if it changed the perspective more to see if they have changed their mind at all. That's well, a- I don't know that the smartest thing that one can do is vote for Trump. I can understand why one would choose to do it. Um, you know, I'm no fan of Joe Biden by any stretch of the imagination and nor am I so such a Pollyanna that I believe that uh, the libertarian candidate, whoever it might be, is suddenly going to get into office, nor if they did, would they behave themselves. But I'm kind of of the opinion that these people are liars and thieves, all of them. And if you put any hope in them, you're just the fool who believes in liars and thieves. Let's go to Dana in Michigan. Dana, you're on Free Talk Live. Hi. Um, Mark, it is so – I know you were on a couple of weeks ago without the photo um, because I'm watching online. I'm streaming. But um, are you going to be doing this regular on Saturdays? Joining uh, that's, the show? Up to, that's up to Captain. He has been gracious enough to invite me several times over the next uh, couple of months. And, um, you know, he's Captain, – Captain is the program director for Saturday and Sunday nights. So uh, I don't want to put any pressure on him, but it, it is delightful to do it. 
and and we love having okay. him here. So, yeah, oh, putting pressure oh, on the captain to do so is up to you, Dana. <laughs> oh, I just I'm so happy he's back, and no disrespect to um um Peekless or to the captain, but I thought this had something to do with um. I don't know what I was looking for. I don't even know that it had to do with Free Talk Live. But somehow I found some thread saying um, people were saying, um, oh, they missed the old days when, you know, Mark and Ian were on. And sure. I know it's not possible for Ian. And, and again, no disrespect to Captain and Peekless. But, Hell, I miss you know, the days when Mark and Ian were on. <laughs> right. I, I am we all terribly yeah. insulted, but yeah, I completely Yeah, agree. I'm not insulted at oh. all, Dana. It's fine. Okay. <laughs> no, it would at least if you are. How dare you? Captain. The unmitigated okay. call. <laughs> so anyway, um, I just was wondering, I, I can't catch the show every single day because I have to live a life. But that being said, um, did you guys catch the speech at World Economic Forum from um, your guy, um, Javier Malay? I did. I, I, I only did. saw oh, a couple gosh. of clips of it. But what did you think, Dana? Oh, it was fantastic. In fact, I thought, my goodness, is that a conservative? He was fantastic. Yeah, I liked him a lot. I told you guys before, I've I've never been shy about this, that I am a conservative Christian, but, um, and and from a pragmatic standpoint, um, because it actually works. And um, even the Christian part, I mean, I just, otherwise, what's the point of being here? So both of them, I can make arguments for both the conservative and the Christian, but I have a very libertarian bent. I told you guys before, and I told me in this, I want the government the hell out of my business, especially Amen. when you follow Davos or what's going, you know, the um, uh, what they say at the World Economic Forum. You know what? People are afraid of using this word evil, this four-letter word. It gives them the heebie-jeebies because then it invokes God and Satan and all this. They rather just think people are mean or controlling. These people are sick. They're really sick. They're evil. And so when I watched parts of it online, I got to go back and see the whole thing, the whole speech. I I caught two twice I went in, but then I got interrupted. So I got to go back. I want to see the whole thing. Only approximately out of that whole audience, Six people were clapping. Well, this guy is never going to make it in Davos because I'm going to tell you, he's got practical, real-world solutions to things. You think that Obama, who is our current president, by the way, um, you think that they don't know this? These are not dumb people. These are evil people. This is about controlling not just the United States. This is the world. Mm-hmm. And I'm not being, you know, um, Alex Jones here. Um, maybe some of the stuff was way off the plantation, but um, a lot of this stuff has already come true that people have. Well, Captain, you just did that article when Mark was on a couple of weeks ago or whenever it was um, about 15 myths 
or conspiracy theories about the COVID yeah. that have all come true. Yeah. And so what does that tell you? People were um, laughed at. They were threatened, all kinds of stuff, taken offline. I mean, deplatformed when that was their only source of income because they didn't agree with the status quo. And so this Javier guy is coming up. And he's going to make all these practical, he's, you know, suggesting all these practical things, not just for his country, but for the world. These people know that this, this guy is going to either die of a heart attack and high blood pressure or just live with eternal frustration. I think he's great. All of this stuff that you guys have talked about over the years and how I believe, whether you're conservative um, and Christian or not Christian, but um, which most conservatives are Christian, but conservative Christian, libertarian, whatever, even the old blue dog Democrats, if they even exist, the old John F. Kennedy liberals. This is just crazy. They're deliberately destroying their own countries, and the people here are destroying ours. I'm curious, so Dana. I, 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 I wish... I wish him all the luck, but I, I feel bad for that man. He's going to just be so frustrated as the very few decent politicians that we've had or have right now, and I'm not a, a fan of politicians, but right. but the decent ones, um, they're just, it's. I don't know what it's going to take, you guys. I just don't know. I'm curious if when you were watching Javier's speech, if, uh, you know, you heard things that you've heard previously here on Free Talk Live. Oh, absolutely. I'm very I'm familiar although I don't I, I don't agree with the extremes. Yeah. But the libertarian bent um that's why I say I'm libertarian. I really believe in um uh, laissez-faire. I might be one of these uh, theorists that believes the Democrats are going to do something in August. Um they're well positioned in so much as the Republicans have their convention in July. So the Democrats in August, when they have their convention, will know who the Republican nominee is. And that nominee will be on rails. I suspect that nominee is going to be Trump. Everything suggests it's going to be Trump. But, you know, I don't know. I, I won't. I can't say Trump didn't win handily enough in New Hampshire for me to go ahead and make a prediction yet, because I think he has to win by large margins in order to show the GOP, hey, you know, it's worth taking a chance on a guy who's got, you know, 90 indictments or whatever the situation is. I suspect um, that if Trump does get reelected, that it'll be more of the same. Yeah. Same thing with I, Biden. And this is why well, but, well, my why I, I call out the people. Right. The voters. Right. I'm calling out voters specifically. Do not let this happen again. The last thing you need is more of the same. Find some renegade uh, Javier Malay type. Find somebody that bucks the system. Choose them. Write somebody else in. I don't care. But oh, my God. You are going to uh, just the repercussions of electing either one of these two bastards is going to be deadly. So what were you saying, though, about uh, uh, you might be one of those people who think something's going to happen in August? Right. I think I, I mean, I think it's possible, certainly, that uh, Democrats surround bro, Joe Biden, excuse me, Joe Biden and say, hey, bud, you know, you had a good run and we really appreciate appreciate what you've done for America. But 
we don't think you're in the right shape for this. And it, this can either go well or it can go poorly. And, you know, Joe's going to have to go out on stage and say, you know, thank you, America. Thank you for everything. It's with a heavy heart that I have to spend more time with my family. You know, Hunter needs me right now or whatever the situation is. And Joe has to has to step down. And then somebody comes in. I don't know whether that somebody is, uh, you know, the governor of California, Gavin Newsom, or whether it is Michelle Obama has been, you know, much mentioned. I, I, I don't know who it is, but I think that that would be the only trick that would cause Trump to lose because this election looks like it's a foregone conclusion right now. Yeah. Yeah, the best. yeah, it looks like it's a foregone conclusion that uh, it's going to be a repeat of last time with a different outcome. But right. remember how kind, how crafty the people we're dealing with are and oh, yes. how deeply, deeply underhanded they are. So I, I, I don't fully trust that either for. of them is going to make it to this election. And that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for the trick. I'm trying to in my right. own. My mind is just digging around trying to find what that weird thing is in there because they're because I just can't let go that something is weird about this election. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I'll grant that I have biases and maybe Dana's right. And he was just naive and he really does represent an absolute existential threat to the uh <sighs> the absolute evil that runs the world and especially our country. And if that is the case, he will not be allowed to make it to that election. Right. If he makes I, it to I, that I election, then you. we're going to see more of the that, same. I think Trump is annoying to the powers that be not dangerous. Right. And right. that's uh, that, that, that would probably be the most that we could, uh, you know, manage to get through. I'm not, a Trump supporter, um, you know, and I'm curious about what's going on. In fact, I have a, a little uh, blurb here about uh, potentially tr Trump taking RFK Jr. as his running mate. And I think, well, that's that, that might be the little thing that my, my brain can't wrap itself around. But if I were Trump, I would not give the Democrats a VP that they would prefer over me. You just heard highlights from the latest episode of Free Talk Live. You can download full episodes, subscribe to our podcast, listen live and more, all for free at freetalklive.com.